All right, good morning. Happy Easter. Okay. It's all right. Um, my name is Fred. I am uh, the lead pastor here, and I am glad that uh, you are here to celebrate the resurrection with us. Um, it is a great day. What I love um, about Easter Sunday, about Resurrection Sunday, um, is that people come expectant. Um, uh, you know, I always enjoy watching the preschoolers head off to their room because they're skipping and jumping and, and, and all that fun stuff. And on Resurrection Sunday, adults come into church the same way uh, because you know, um, you know why we're here. And, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful uh, that you have joined us. So today um, is uh, Easter Sunday and it is April Fool's. Uh, which uh, for uh, maybe us and maybe even uh, our non-Christian friends, for my non-Christian friends, the irony of that uh, is something that has to be grappled with, right? Paul, who wrote a book in the New Testament, uh, dealt with. Um, Paul, who wrote a book in the New Testament, uh, well, he wrote quite a few books of the New Testament. I'm going to highlight one scripture that's in the scripture we're going to go to today, but I just want to highlight it because this question of April Fools and the resurrection, are we fools for believing what we believe, uh, is a question that Paul actually addressed. Uh, listen to this. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 through 20, Paul says this. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. In other words, we're fools and you are still in your sin. Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are people to be most pitied. And verse 20 is great. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. He is risen. Oh, good, you woke up. Great, yes. Yes, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Jesus, um, you have been raised from the dead. Our prayers do not go to the ears of a dead man, but to the ears of a living God. And Father, for that we take refuge and for that, we place our hope. And God, I pray today, as we look at the resurrection, um, I pray uh, that you would speak to us. Because I know a lot of us are coming from a church background, and this is just another message on the resurrection. But God, what I ask you to, if it's new, restore to us today. Make our belief as if it's new. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so this question of what if, what if the resurrection didn't happen? What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What if Easter really is just about bunnies and Easter eggs? What if, uh, uh, what if this, this question is a question that we all have to answer? And the question that we have to answer is a question that many of you have 
But it's this question. It's do I believe? Do I believe? You've had to answer that question, this question of, of, of do you believe that the resurrection was real? That's the question that has to be answered. And as Paul pointed out, everything about our faith hinges on how you answer that question. It hinges on the reality of the resurrection. Not the myth of it, not the legend of it, but the reality of it. And the question you've had to answer, or the question you still have to answer is, do you believe that it's real? And this question is the question that we're going to see through the eyes of John today. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Uh, If you need a Bible, there's some right in front of you. And in that Bible, it's on page 751. And so you're welcome to use that Bible. Um, If you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you, uh, because we would love for you to have it. Uh, You can also download the Bible app. Uh, click on fellowship, let's say click on events and then click on Fellowship Asheville and the scripture is there today as well as any announcements and, and, and stuff like that. And we're finishing up our series called Through Their Eyes where we've taken a break from Hebrews. That's the book of the Bible we're in. We'll pick that back up again next week. Um, but we've been taking this break as we look through Easter and we've been looking at the, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection through the eyes of three different people. We, we looked at the crucifixion and resurrection through the eyes of Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, and in, in her we saw how to live in this gap between what God says and what God is doing, right? Because we all have these places in our life where we're waiting for God to do what only God can do. And in Mary, we saw that. We saw that before she even gave birth, before she was even pregnant, she knew that she was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And yet, uh, after she gave birth, as Jesus was growing up, her expectations about what that meant and what Jesus' expectations about what that meant weren't exactly the same. She expected him to save the nation of Israel from the oppression of Rome and bring Israel into this world power to bring peace, that he would be a better Moses and be a better David. That's what she expected. And Jesus kept talking about love and and confession and, and repentance of sin, and that didn't match up. And we saw in Mary this tension that we can live in between confusion and trust, between being confused about what God is doing and trusting that God is doing what he says he's gonna do, even if it doesn't look like he is, that he's working for us. And then we looked at Barabbas last week. And that was a really fun message to take a person who we don't normally spend a lot of time on and to look at the crucifixion and resurrection through his eyes. And in his eyes, we saw the difference between an escape and true freedom, knowing that Jesus died for me. And today, we're going to look through the eyes of John, where we're going to see belief through his eyes. And so for today, let me catch you up where we are when we pick up in John chapter 20. Uh, Jesus has already been crucified, so it means that, that he has already had his last supper with his disciples, and he's gone to the garden to pray, and they fell asleep, and, and, and the soldiers came and took Jesus away. They led him uh, to uh, three different trials to see if he was guilty of any uh, infraction against the law of leading rebellion or, or claiming to be a, a, a king. 
And he saw three different judges, well, two different judges, one of them twice. He saw Pilate and he saw Herod, then he went back to Pilate. And all three times, uh, Jesus didn't exactly answer their questions the way that he wanted them to. As a matter of fact, most of the times when he was asked a direct question, he remained silent. And then he was uh, exchanged for Barabbas and Jesus, which is where we picked up last week. And then he was beaten and led to the cross and crucified. And there he died. And if you remember, in Jesus' life, he spoke about the resurrection quite a bit. And yet the disciples and those following him, some of that, most of that just went completely over their heads. When he talked about being raised to life, they didn't get it. When he talked about uh, being a savior of the world, they thought he meant Rome, not sins. And so when he died on that cross, so did a lot of their false expectations. And, and, and that happened on a Friday afternoon, close to sunset, and then they entered Saturday. And some people call yesterday, Silent Saturday, because their Savior had died. And even though he spoke of the resurrection, even though, even though he gave them everything they needed to know, for some reason, it just zipped right past them. And so on Saturday, they, there was nothing. They hoped, they prayed, they wondered, but it was silent. And it's a great lesson for us, just on a side note, a lot of times when God is silent, he's still working, right? And so they didn't know Sunday was coming the way we know Sunday came. And where we pick up in John chapter 20 is Sunday morning. And look at John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene uh, is a person who is a follower of Jesus and had a very dramatic conversion. Um, uh, and, and it says here that she went to the tomb. We'll see later that there were other people there with her because she uses the pronoun we. And when we look at the other gospels, it was actually a group of women that were heading to the tomb. And the reason they were heading to the tomb is because when the crucifixion happened and when Jesus died, there was a very short window between uh, the moment that he died and was taken down from the cross uh, to when they had to put him in the tomb because the Sabbath was about to start. And when the Sabbath started, you couldn't do work, much less could you take care and, and prepare a body for burial. And so, so these women did a very quick job in preparing Jesus's body for the burial, and they were coming back on Sunday morning to finish the job because they had to do such a rushed job uh, to get it done. And so they're heading back to the, to the, to the tomb to, to, to finish the job that they had started before the Sabbath hit. And what do they notice when they get there? What's different? For those of you who are new to church, I was a third grade teacher. So sometimes when I ask a question, I expect an answer. Now, it's not fair to you because sometimes I don't expect an answer, but sometimes I do. So, so what did they notice when these women went to the tomb? The stone was rolled away, right? It was supposed to be over the, the tomb, and the tomb was like a cave. And, and so it had this stone that rolled over it. And, and, and when they got there, it was open. Right, Something wasn't the way that it was supposed to be. And, and here we see this first step of belief because belief starts with an opportunity. right? And, and here we see this opportunity. Something isn't as it should be. They get there expecting to find the body of Jesus, expecting to have to roll back the stone by themselves and, and have people help them do it. But something is wrong. And look what they do with this opportunity because now we're gonna begin to see this through John's eyes because he's introduced here. 
It says in verse two, so she ran and went with Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter, that's Peter. The other disciples are there. John refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. I don't know why he does, but he does. So that's, because it's not untrue. It's true that Jesus loved him. That's just the way he refers to himself. And these women run to the disciples, I think partly because, one, they know that they're also Jesus' followers and they want them to know what happened. But two, I think they might have gone to the disciples because if something happened, they would know. Because they were the ones that were close to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Peter and John were in some ways Jesus' best friends here on earth. They were in this inner circle uh, between the big circle of the disciples. And so they ran to find them. And look, look at what happens in the rest of verse 2. And she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so belief starts with an opportunity, but then what belief wants to do is it wants to create a conclusion. Right? It wants to know why. And so belief creates a conclusion. And, 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 and so what does this opportunity mean to them? They go to the tomb. The stones rolled away. There's no body. So what they believe happened is that grave robbers stole the body. Obviously, the disciples didn't do it because they didn't have any reaction to this. They want to know. They want to tell the disciples somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. And this belief that starts with an opportunity creates a conclusion, and every conclusion needs inspection, right? Belief needs inspection. And here's what I mean by that. Belief needs facts, right? We like to say that belief is this fuzzy emotion we just believe. People say, why do you believe in the resurrection? Why do you believe in Jesus? And sometimes we give them the answer, I, I don't know, I just believe. But, but here's what happens. If, if, if you were to track back your, in your memory to the moment you believed that the resurrection was true, to the moment you believed that Jesus died for you, there's something that's attached to that belief, whether it's um, an experience that you had that made that belief true, whether it's a compelling story, somebody told you their story of the moment they believed and you said, yes, that's true, and you believed. It could be empirical facts. Some of you love spreadsheets and facts and, and, and somebody presented to you all the reasons for the resurrection to be true and you just said, well, then it must be true. But belief needs inspection, belief needs facts. And Peter and John are going to go get those facts because these women have showed up and said the body is gone, grave robbers must have taken him. And so what they do is they need an inspection to verify the belief. And look at verse three. It says, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Mm -hmm. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Now, what happened as soon as the women told the disciples that Jesus' body is gone, Peter and John started a foot race to the tomb to find out what was going on. Now, John, for whatever reason, wanted us to know that he actually got there first. But he also humbly wanted us to know he chickened out going in because he gets there and something literally stops him in his tracks. 
Because what he sees there presents a problem. See, he's going to the tomb based on a discovery that Jesus' body is missing. And this opportunity, this discovery led to belief. And that belief, it needs a conclusion. And that conclusion needs facts. And he's going there. And he gets in. And remember, when, when Jesus was crucified, it was Joseph of Arimathea that already had the tomb and had said, we can put Jesus in my tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich dude. And so if you're a grave robber and you're watching this funeral procession go down the street and you see them put a body in the rich dude's grave, you know what? You might go back that night and see what else they put in there. It makes perfect sense that grave robbers would be the reason that Jesus' body is missing, except when John shows up, he sees something that presents a whole different problem because his inspection doesn't match the conclusion. It doesn't look like grave grave robbers were the reason that Jesus' body was missing because the linen cloths were still there. Grave robbers would have taken those. If anything, they would have taken those and left the body. But it stops John in his tracks when he sees those linen cloths lying there. Look at verse six. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. So now Peter shows up out of breath, I'm sure, um, uh, John may have been the long distance runner. Peter, Peter may have been more shaped like me and more for plowing than running. And, and so he finally gets there and he goes in. Peter's, Peter's the brave one. He goes in. He wants to see the evidence, touch the evidence, feel the evidence. And he walks in and he sees the, the, the linen cloth lying there. But then this happens in verse 7. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying, where the linen, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Now remember, Jesus' body was prepared in a hurry for burial. Typically what they would do uh, is almost like a mummy, if you think about what we know about mummy, mummies with the linen cloths and all that. A lot of times when they would bury somebody, they would do that. They would dip those linen cloths in, in spices and oils so that, not to get too gross here, but as the body decomposed, it wouldn't smell quite as bad because it would have these fragrant cloths on there. Well, because they had to bury him in such a hurry and put him in the tomb, they didn't have time to do all of that. And so what they did is they did big strips of cloth and they laid it on top of Jesus' body and then they had a separate one. And cloths that were lying there, look, in the other gospels, we can get the picture that those linen cloths that were lying there looked like there had been a body underneath them and then the body just disappeared. So imagine a balloon under a sheet and the balloon pops and the sheet just deflates, right? That's what Peter saw when he walked in. Now, if... That had been the case for everything, you would expect the cloth that was on Jesus' face to do the same thing. That if a balloon popped, even that cloth would have fallen down. But when Peter walked in, he noticed there was something different. The face cloth wasn't like the body cloth. That looked like it had just been deflated. This one looked like somebody had taken it off and put it in a different place. It wasn't even with the linen cloth. It was folded and put in a different place. Now this opportunity for belief is leading to a brand new conclusion, requiring a brand new inspection. And Peter must have called out to John and told him what he'd seen because now John looks inside the tomb. Look at verse eight. 
It says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And look at John's response. And he saw, so he saw it with his eyes. He saw the the linen cloth lying there looking like uh, a balloon had deflated and the body, as we see in the other other gospels, that the body had been been raised through the cloth. And then he looks over and sees this, this this face cloth put in a different place. And he realizes somebody has been in here, but it wasn't grave robbers. And he makes this jump, and we're going to see why in just a minute, that it wasn't grave robbers. It was actually a resurrection. That Jesus' body wasn't stolen. It had been raised. And look at how he knew. Look at the facts that came to his mind for belief. In verse 9, it says, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture. So, so, So what John is pointing out here is up until this point, Something that didn't click now clicked in John's head. And it wasn't just the evidence that he saw, because it says that he saw and he what? In the last verse, he saw and then he believed. And it wasn't just that that cloth was in a different place that gave him this jump. He remembered the scriptures that Jesus had taught. He remembered all the things that he had learned as a boy growing up uh, knowing the Old Testament, as Jesus taught them the Old Testament. He remembered all these things, and it says this, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now, in this moment, John realized something that he hadn't realized before. And just imagine this moment. Suddenly, these verses came to his mind, and maybe these are the verses that clicked for him. Maybe it was Genesis 3.15 that says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So, so, so God has created man and, and woman, and, and they, have, they have been tempted by Satan, and they've eaten that piece of fruit, and, and, and now sin has entered the world, and, and God shows up, and he tells them the consequences of what's going to happen. But in the middle of those consequences, he gives this whisper of hope that even though sin has entered the world, and, and the consequence for your sin is this gap between me and you, one day I'm going to send somebody who's going to fix that. And he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, And he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel, is what he tells Satan. That there's going to be someone, Satan, who's going to come and he's going to crush your head, but you are going to hurt him too. So the one who comes is going to experience pain. Psalm 16.10 says, for you will not let your Holy One see decay. So maybe John knew that Jesus, he gets it now. Jesus, of course, had to rise because he's not going to see decay. Isaiah 53, 12, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. So he's one of us, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That his death and his resurrection, he was going to take on our sin. Maybe Hosea 6, 2, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will rise up. And maybe he, he understood that verse to be, this is the third day, and Jesus has risen. Hosea 13, 14, it says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? And maybe he thought, Jesus conquered death. Or Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some of them to everlasting life. 
Maybe that verse came to his head and he understood it to be that the resurrection is real. Or maybe Jesus' words came to his mind. In Matthew 12, 40, it says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I get it, Jesus. Three days, three nights. He even said this in John chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. And the Jews said to him, to Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will, rise it, I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it ta- it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? John says he was, he was speaking about the temple of his body. And now John realizes when he was talking about raising the temple in three days, he wasn't talking about building a building. He was talking about the resurrection. And all of these and maybe a whole lot more flooded into John's mind. And you see this opportunity led to a conclusion. And upon inspection, it wasn't grave robbers. It was a different conclusion. It was a resurrection. And see, here's what every conclusion needs. Every conclusion requires belief. Right? It requires belief to think that grave robbers stole the body of Jesus. It requires belief to believe that the resurrection is true. Every conclusion requires belief. And the question for us to answer today, the question for you to answer today, is what do I believe? That's your question. What do I believe? Now, for those of you who are new to church, here's what you have to consider. Whether you've come here believing that the resurrection is true or whether the resurrection wasn't true, you've got a belief system. You believe something. Every historian will point to the fact that Jesus was a real person. Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was a real person who walked on the real earth. Every historical marker will point to that. Every historical marker will also point to the fact that that Jesus of Nazareth, that real person, was crucified in in a form of Roman torture called the crucifixion. And every historical marker will point to the fact that that was true. What most of those historical markers will point to also is that there has been no body after that crucifixion. That he has risen. Now, That's what history will point to. No bones have been identified as Jesus' bones. No body was presented after the rumor of the resurrection went out that, no, 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 he didn't raise from the dead. See, here's his body. No grave robber confessed to it, but there is still a belief system in place. The question you have to answer is, what do you believe? You see, if you keep reading the Bible you see even more evidence of the resurrection. You see witnesses that he appeared to over 500 people at one time after after his resurrection. At one time, not to mention all the hundreds of people that saw him over the 40 days that he was on earth after his resurrection, teaching his disciples and being with his people, being with his followers. And so there's eyewitness accounts of, of, of his resurrection. What do you believe? If you read the Bible, you'll also see there is an attempt to cover it up. That the Roman government paid soldiers to spread the lie that they're the ones who stole the body of Jesus. And there was a conspiracy. What do I believe? That's the question. 
You see, heaven and earth point to the conclusion of a real resurrection. The question that you must answer is, what do I believe? And if you say yes to the resurrection, you can say yes to Jesus. That he did what he said he was going to do. And if a person raises themselves from the dead, you pay attention to what they say. And he said, he is the Savior. So if you say yes to the resurrection, you can say yes to Jesus. And you can trust him and you can walk with him. And if you still have questions about this, there's a book in the foyer called Reason for God. Take one. Don't pay for it. Just take it. We got plenty. And I want you to read it. And I want you to work your way through it. And then I want you to call me and let's go have lunch or coffee and talk through it. Because the question is, what do I believe? Now, many of you have already said yes to the resurrection. You've already said yes to Jesus. And, and you're sitting here. Uh, this is an Easter service. And man, you're loving us talking about the resurrection. And you're loving us talking about Jesus. And your question that you say, what do I believe is, yes, I believe. But what do I do with that? What do I do with that belief? If the resurrection is real, what difference does it make? Well, church, today is your day. Today is your day. Because just like John, and any time you read a book written by John, whether it's the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd John, 3rd John, Revelation, those are the ones that he wrote, he's writing those because he wants you to do one thing. Do you know what that one thing is that he wants you to do? He wants you to believe. As a matter of fact, at the end of chapter 20, in this, in this book it says, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, that's what happens when the resurrection is real, our belief gives us life. And not just eternal life, but life in the here and now. And just like John, we can let the world know that we believe. Because let me tell you something, church. Today is Easter and it's April Fool's. And you know what that means? It means the world is watching us today to see what we do. Y'all, I tucked in my shirt because it's Easter. <laughs> How many of you noticed that my shirt's tucked in? Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so uncomfortable right now, yeah. <laughs> but I do that for you because it's Easter, right? And the world is watching. Now, they don't care if we tuck in our shirts or not. They're watching, do we have life? And so maybe we can do like John did and just share this hashtag, I believe. It's a very simple way. Don't, don't tag Fellowship Asheville. This isn't about you believing in Fellowship Asheville. This is about you believing in Jesus and about you believing that the resurrection is real. And so just share the hashtag, I believe, because the world is watching. Let's do what John did and let the world watch us believe. Let those you know see what you know to be true, that I believe. And if you can't share that hashtag, maybe today is the day that you can believe.
let's talk. All right, let's pray.